Hey, I'm Nate Flax. I'm Noah Longworth-McGuire. And this is Talking Lion. Talking Lion is a podcast focused on artist-to-artist conversation. We're primarily artists, a duo called Sleeping Lion, but we've been lucky enough to write, produce, and hang out with so many incredible rising artists since we started our project. Whether it's at sessions or parties or over cups of coffee, we've talked with our creative friends about everything. Music, life, love, and all the subtle complexities that come with being in the middle of a journey. Talking Lion is about hitting record in these conversations and sharing them with you. There's no real structure, nothing really prepared, just friends talking about life and what it's been like and where it's going. Before diving into this episode, I want to acknowledge that this is coming out in the middle of what feels like a revolution. Right now, there are protesters in the street of every major city protesting the unjust, violent murder of George Floyd and the systematic racism that's plagued this country. We stand with the protesters and hope that their voices are heard. Likewise, we encourage our listeners, if you have the means, to donate to organizations that are helping to protect these protesters and their communities. The Black Lives Matter website, the Brooklyn Community Bail Fund, and the Black Visions Collective are all great organizations that could use your support right now. Also, to any artist with a platform listening, please use your platform for good to amplify and support what's going on right now. Don't just watch and stay silent. We hope everybody's staying safe, and we do hope you enjoy this episode, but don't let it distract or detract from what's going on right now. Diving back in. We recorded this episode with our longtime friend, Miet Hope. I first met Miet virtually before we both started our freshman year at Berklee College of Music. In the winter after our first semester, we went on a cross-country DIY folk tour together before we ultimately started our own artist projects. All to say, we've known each other for a very long time. Some context for this interview. We recorded this on January 30th, a few months before the quarantine started. Miette had just performed at the Troubadour and recently released her EP, Pendulum. In our conversation, we mentioned a song we wrote together called Balance, which at the time was just a demo sitting on our hard drive. But since this interview was recorded, we revisited Balance and we'll be releasing it as a single on June 4th. Miette has been a part of our journey from the beginning and we've been cheering each other on for years. She's truly a one-of-a-kind artist and friend whose powerful songs and incredible voice have the ability to effortlessly inspire everyone who matches her energy. So, without further ado. I'm Miette Hope and this is Talking Lion. Well, hello. Hello. Welcome to the house. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, Happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for, for being here. First time you were here, there was no furniture at all. I think we were all just like sitting on the floor in what would be the kind yeah. of studio space. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't the mattress in this room at one point while uh, you were here? There happened to be a mattress yeah. down in the living room. Oh, no, no. It was downstairs. Oh, yeah. And it worked out super well because I needed a place to crash. And so it was just right in the middle it of the living room. It was just there. Yeah. And I was, yeah. So <laughs> well, that was kind of worked out. I think our landlord like left a mattress and was like, it's yours if you want it. And, oh, yeah. At this point, we were like, well, we can't say no to a mattress. Like, we, we need to... But the mattress was upstairs at one there was point. Another, I'm not crazy, No, there right? were two mattresses. He it was gave your us, mattress. No, he gave no. us... There were two uh, mattresses? There were two mattresses. He gave us this sort of like king-sized mattress. Oh, right. Which was crazy. <laughs> and then he gave us like the twin-sized mattress. Right. That for some reason was up here. Yeah. Well, that, was, that was the session mattress for a while. We would like lie down on it yeah. if you were, had writer's block. <laughs> session mattress. Yeah. But that was fun. We wound up writing Balance... Which I, that's a cool song. Yeah, that is a cool song. Revisit that one. But you, you're here now. You just played the Troubadour, which was incredible. Thank it's, you. There's something really special about just seeing somebody like you care about just like on the Troubadour stage. Mm. Like that's that's something else. What what was that show like for you? It was a super pivotal moment for me. I've been coming over to LA 
you know, for the past year and a half or so since I graduated school and just kind of trying to make a name for myself in in the major cities. And yeah, I was coming and playing the trusty hotel cafe quite a few times. And I think last time around, I just kind of made a vow to myself that it was time to move on to a bigger, better venue. But you brought it. I mean, that was like everybody was locked in. Like you could feel it in the crowd. There was like a very cool energy about it. Yeah, I have uh, Josh Arbor at um, Sound Collective to thank for putting the bill together and kind of bringing the opportunity forward. He's a really awesome local booker in town. And um, yeah, he, he presented the opportunity to me and was super encouraging about like my ability to bring people out because I was a little nervous about that. But also previously. like all, all our friends are out here. Like I, 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 you know, I wasn't super worried about you because like you like, you know everybody. Pretty much our entire Berkeley class lives out here now. Yeah. So we've all migrated. <laughs> yeah. Um, going back pre-Berkeley, you're a Coloradan. Yeah. 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 I'm originally from Colorado Springs, Colorado. I was born in Minnesota, but I, I moved to Colorado when I was pretty young. So I consider myself a native. <laughs> what was uh What was growing up there like? I mean, I've I've seen I've seen your hometown. Um, but you know, what what was high school Miet like? Was she making music? Like, what what were you up to? Yeah. So. I kind of grew up in a music community. My parents were playing in bands. Um, my mom is a singer-songwriter, and my stepdad plays guitar. And yeah, Shout out to a, Edith Makes a Paper Chain. <laughs> yeah, Edith Makes a Paper Chain. That's my mom's band. And, <laughs> you know, they had kind of a folky bluegrass thing going on. And I would always go and, you know, play play in the mud and hang out and listen to bluegrass music at these festivals growing up. And Edith Makes a Paper Chain was um, one of the first bands to open up this legendary festival called Bluegrass, where I've heard so many amazing folk artists. Um, yeah, and so I kind of grew up always around that stuff and um, taught myself guitar. I think it was around that point that I decided I should stop playing clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you played clarinet. Yeah, I played clarinet. So your first instrument was clarinet? Yeah, Whoa. I mean, well, actually it was cello, I think. Okay. And then I moved on to woodwinds and realized I couldn't sing and <laughs> it would just take a little bit too much breath. I mean, there's not a lot of oxygen in Colorado, so I kind of had to make a choice. <laughs> yeah, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> Do you remember uh, New Year's Eve when I died? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I smoked uh, and I coughed. And then in had coughing, no oxygen. I couldn't get the oxygen back. Like <laughs> I went lightheaded and I pretty much passed out oh for the rest God. of New Year's. That was wow. uh, New Year's of 20, going into 2015. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We crazily enough decided to go on a oh, DIY tour. Oh my God. What, like well, two, what, maybe a month after meeting each other? Really a month after? Well, it's you funny. Already... I, was thinking, I was thinking back on, on stuff, especially thinking back when you're playing the Troubadour, just trying to see like all the full, full circles. But I was in Boston for a sec, like doing the Berkeley, not even orientation, but just like seeing the place or something. Mm -hmm. um, and I was staying at like a family friend's house and I was, it was late. And I was also really nervous because I was like, all right, I'm going to go to Berkeley. I'm going to do this, but I, I, I want to make friends and I want to make friends before I, like get there. You wanted because, to have like a leg up socially. Yeah, well, it, it was just, I just want, didn't want to be alone because so, right. I, I had my my best friends, and in a lot of ways, I was like, I'm leaving this place for. So I like went on the Facebook group, and I think it was one of those things where it's like you had posted something, like Valentine had posted something. <laughs> just some of the, some of our friends now who we've known for a long time. I just I was like, hey, like what's up? And you replied, hey, 
what what's what's your deal? What are you up to? So we wound up skyping for a right. week, for a while. Right. So like yeah, six we became months. we became friends in the in the Berkeley chat and then kind of hit it off. Got got started talking about gear because you were asking me about my loop pedal. Yeah, well, because <laughs> I, I just started getting into loop and I saw your loop video and yeah. thought it was awesome. And then I had like had the inglings of like wanting to do a tour, which I don't know where that even came from from i like looking back i'm like that was a crazy idea i think you just wanted a project i think you needed like a project project. from the jump like just something to be doing from the get-go that's just nate in general (laughs) well i think i think it's it was it was if i had to process actually just being in boston like being in a new place without something to do i would have just gone crazy like i think i think i would have actually processed what was happening which was like i'm growing up can't have that can't do that no you gotta have something to focus Um, i just ate a lot of junk food that's that's how i felt i was i just like had full-on culture shock depression sleep for a bunch of weeks eating junk food because i'm like i'm in america i can finally eat all the junk food i want we 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 were were in this stressful ass whirlwind like day one you and i met and then we were like we need to find our tour mates. We have to like collect all of this money on like GoFundMe. So we like, right. I remember so, oh we yeah. Were, we already started talking about the tour before we got to Berkeley. Cause we started, I think the campaign, like the second day at school. Yeah. Which it was crazy. already like well on its way. You remember meeting both of us. Cause we just knocked on the door. Yeah. Right? That's, I, I met you both at the same time. Actually, you knocked on my door and we're like, Nate Flax, nice to meet oh, you. God. And I'm pretty sure you were standing behind him. And mm-hmm. I was just like, who is this? posse of people who just showed up at my door at once. Well, then I don't we all remember did, who else was in It was in, in the, the, the dorm building. We were just yeah, going around saying hey to everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, because y'all were neighbors. So yeah, we were, like, I'm going to meet the people near, nearby. <laughs> yeah. No, and then and then we did Boston Calling. Oh, together. yeah. Uh-huh. We Bump, were, at, when the Boston storm calling. came, like the storm was. That was, that a, crazy was a, day. a crazy day. It was, was it? apocalyptic. Apo- it felt and a apocalyptic. A bunch of people were tripping too, I think. And yeah. It was like, it was. <laughs> Drugs involved. We, yeah. we, and, we, and we hid in that, um in the food court. In the food court. We sheltered we in the food court. Food we played court. Never Have uh-huh. I Ever. Um, but I, I, I also vaguely remember that that was how we met Dan and Hunter, who ended up coming on the tour with us. Right, exactly. Um. So, yeah, pretty much. Three months into us knowing each other, we went on this crazy DIY tour. All nine of us stuffed into a van going from New York to Colorado. Colorado, yeah. Um, those were, I mean, that was fun. It, it was, was crazy in retrospect. Was, I know. We slept on floors. There oh. was one night that is very prevalent to me in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, God. I was hoping you wouldn't bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there like a condom in the corner? Yeah, there was a used condom in the corner. So basically we show up at this house (laughs) and this guy is like, yeah, you're playing in the basement. It's this like punk house. (laughs) Don't even know what the deal is. He, He told us he'd be able to provide lodging for us if we were booking show there. So we get there and he's like, yeah, we asked where we should put our stuff and we're kind of looking around trying to figure out how how we're possibly going to be able to rest our heads. And uh, he's like, well, uh, my roommate, you know, he's sort of living with this girlfriend. I'm, I'm, he hasn't been here in like a month. So you guys, <laughs> you guys can probably just stay in his room. Oh, I don't boy. think he's coming back tonight. <laughs> so we get up there and it's disgusting. It's literally probably the most. It's like if you it's like watch. It was like um, that show, like Hoarders. It was like watching it live. It was like dusty, it was like we were grimy. a film crew. Just going in to check out this. Well, situation. and we, so we, I, I remember us like playing rock, paper, scissors or something to figure out the proximity from the used condom. <laughs> like trying to figure out, like, because we had Who to, has to sleep the closest. Somebody had, somebody had to be the objective closest to 
that I remember us like duking it out a And there was bit. a mattress on the ground there and I remember we just lifted it up and put it against the wall because <laughs> we none like, of nope. us wanted to sleep we on like, it. We were like none of us were We were all sleep on, on the this. carpet. I remember I, we there was a show at the Wild Goose I really liked. Yeah. That was that was a, in Colorado. That oh, was Oh yeah, I booked that one. That yeah. was a, that was My a solid one. And then there was the one in Boulder where I, I played the Gregory Allen Isikoff cover and somebody was just like, oh, he comes in here all the time. And I just like freaked out a little bit. Yeah. Um, it was just fun. And we did New Year's. We had we had New Year's there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We, yeah. Looking back at photos of that, it's just like we, we, all, we look young. Like we just look like kids. I know? know. It was super fun, though. It was a super cool experience. And I think the biggest thing about that is that like you were the type of friend that pushed me beyond like my comfort zone. Um, and I think I really needed that. And I was super inspired to just like keep working as hard as you were. And well, and that's, I, I feel like, you know, it was such an intense kind of experience. What I learned from like you and from Dan too, is that like, I was so, so like wrapped up in plans that like I lost the people. Mm. And I think that like mm. what I, the biggest takeaway, especially now that Noah and I do so much stuff together, I can have a million plans in the world, but it's a lot more about, okay, well, can we all get along? Can we have a good time? Can we like enjoy what we're doing? Are we working really hard for something that makes sense? So mm-hmm. I think, you know, the tour was cool, but also like for the time and the money, whatever, we could have obviously done other stuff. My takeaway has always been like, we've, we, we met each other. We found like, we found this sort of friendship that has turned into this cool, you know, multi-year thing. Yeah, you know? totally. And also, you know, we took a risk and I think because we all made it out alive, <laughs> it just kind of encouraged me to keep taking risks and keep trying things and know that like it's all about the journey. And that sounds super cheesy, but it's it's totally about the moves you're making and, and the lessons that you're learning. And, and following through. Right. And yeah. if um, I had gone on my first tour and like had sold out shows every night, I wouldn't know how to handle that kind of pressure. Like you gotta, you gotta take the steps, and I think that you was gotta super play important. the weird punk house in you Columbus, Ohio, so right. before you can Ohio. play the troubadour. Right, like just, and now I'm at the point where like I don't really need to do a DIY tour. Yeah, yeah. well, that, that just, was the thing too. I, I, when we came back, I think we all were like, okay, well, I'm not gonna do that again. But now we know, okay, that's why you get an agent. Right, like mm-hmm. that's, exactly. That's why. So someone else can so do all those logistics. Can do it exactly. and like get real venues. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's why you have a manager so that you're not sleeping on in a house where there's a condom in the corner. Though I will say, my most recent lodging was at a BDSM uh, gallery. Uh, wow! Shout out to Josh for <laughs> our, our manager booked. We were playing in a in San Francisco. Our manager booked like an Airbnb that said like BDSM friendly. I thought okay, it's like a very inclusive Airbnb, and it turned out that like. All of the art on the wall. Yeah, BDSM like, friendly seems like a bit of an understatement for what the place ended up it was, being. It was all it's like, why was, would they throw that in there? It was like BDSM. <laughs> with a, yeah, it's like, that should have been the first red all, flag. All of the art on the walls was like incredibly, which everybody live your life, whatever. But it was like incredibly. It was graphic. BDSM themed. Yeah, is what it was. Okay, uh, it was just an Got interesting it. thing to have like this painting like above my bed. This Were specific, there like ropes and? Like I imagine there would be if you asked. Yeah, I I'm, sure, I'm, like sure, there, I'm sure. There, in there the was actually somewhere. a diorama of our hosts in, like, our hosts naked in very with various things on, and that was an interesting oh, wow. Airbnb experience. It's San wow. Francisco for you. That's but, great. But managers in general, <laughs> I imagine, oftentimes avoid these, you know, these lodgings. <laughs> One one hopes. These lodgings. <laughs> Shout out, Josh. Um, no, but uh, what was cool is afterwards when we came back, that was when we all kind of like 
discovered ourselves like almost totally. independently we started you know i met noah started sleeping lion and stuff but you you just put out a record as well but i think in a lot of ways we're sort of like going back to the drawing board right definitely i mean so we went on that tour and i also my first semester at Berkeley worked on an EP of all of the folk songs that I had written when I was living in Colorado. And that was kind of my main thing as an artist. I just played on my acoustic guitar and like looped haunting, you know, um, soaring like vocal harmonies and had all these really sad and slow songs um, and met Dan. um, Yeah. and, And he, you know, just offered to kind of work on those songs with me. And so we you know, recorded vocals in the dorm room closet and Hmm. just, you know, did piano in the practice room and, you know, just did what we could to make a little bit of a project. And then I put a band together and then it didn't work out with them. And I felt like, yeah, definitely back to the drawing board. So then I joined all these other bands and just felt like I had some things to learn. Well, that's, yeah. that I, I remember like where I would wind up seeing you would like, you know, you sang vocals to like Maddie J. So I would go to all of Maddie J's yeah. shows mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you and then I was an indie, indie rock band called Ava. Oh, oh and Ava, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah. No, that's the thing. Just like remembering, I, I, I tried to, I tried to make every show. Also, you, you, you made a cameo, not a cameo, you were, you led in one of WePro's videos. Which oh yeah wait, wait, wait oh which which video was that uh, uh, um when it was March. when it was March when it was March I yeah I was yeah. I was starting to do some modeling <laughs> yeah. and acting stuff as well and yeah I just I kind of put my solo project on the back burner but I think that kind of really needed to happen for me because I was so focused on school and I didn't really know how to um, compartmentalize it and there was so much pressure I felt associated with my artistry yeah and I felt like I didn't have a strong enough leg to stand on to really speak to what I wanted. So it would just be kind of like wasting time if I didn't like learn those lessons first. Um, well, that's how I felt going into like the film stuff. I feel like we all wound up coming back around the same time, like coming back to music, coming back to, but also to pop music. Because you were you were a music therapy major when you first got to Berkeley, right? I was, yeah. yeah. And then I started looking into the courses required and things like that. And I was like, hmm. This isn't actually um, that appealing to me. Not that it wasn't appealing, but I think I started to really think about my career and and what I love spending time doing. And I love creating. And I think I felt like with all of that, I wouldn't have had as much time to do that. So um, I decided to, after speaking with some mentors and talking it out, I decided to double major in music business and songwriting. And I think that was like, yeah, it was such a good choice for me. I felt like both sides of my brain were being stimulated Mm -hmm. day to day. Yeah. And, you know, when I got writer's block, I dug into this textbook or, you know, check Donald Passman and (laughs) figure that out. Um, Well, that that was what intrigued me about, like, got got me back anyway with with pop music was a lot of the business stuff. Mm. Like, even though I didn't wind up taking songwriting classes, like, I wound up taking a lot of music business electives because it was exciting. Like, Mm -hmm. especially now what the music industry is, is like, or or when we were starting out, it was the the blogs. It was the the curation. It was all that. Mm. It's like, oh, we can do that. Like, we and we can do that all from our dorm, you know? Yep, totally. I think it was just cool to sort of see that transform. Like, and I, and I, my favorite song, like around the Boston era, was My Love. My love, love, my love, love, my love, love, my love. Like, 
when that came out, it was so cool. So my love, that's like basically my both my love and spring. Um, I made with Hope Brush um, at I didn't Berkeley. Know that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they were mostly like live band arrangements, but um, Hope, you know, did did the production on it, um, and then it kind of developed into what it was, and I put the songs out because um, mm. I wouldn't have really had you know people around me that wanted to be a part of what I was doing. You know, I think growing up, I knew that my family was always supportive of it, but it was a different type of collaboration. You know what I mean? And so I just felt like I really needed to be self-sufficient for a long time until I started meeting all these awesome music people. And I was like, wow, collaboration is like what I need to do to like fill in the gaps of where my weaknesses are. Cause I could, you know, I could arrange the song and teach it to the band and stuff, but you know, Hope had that extra um, push for it that really brought the songs to life. Well, you you taught me that. Like, the, just watching the first year, how, like, you and Dan would collaborate and interact. Like, Dan had theory down in ways that, like, we were still sort of learning. And, like, right. that was what would open me up to, to Noah, was just realizing, I'm, I don't know. partnership. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know stuff, but he knows some stuff, and he doesn't know stuff, and I know some stuff. Like, that's... I think every songwriter eventually comes down to, oh, I could maybe, you know, spend years learning how to do this all myself, or I could like get in the game, lean on my strengths, rely on people for weaknesses and just see what happens, you know? And I think it was cool that you embraced that. Totally. And I think, I think it's always been a battle for me. I'm kind of a control freak about my art and, um, I, have been burned a lot and let down by people. So I try and have really low expectations. Would you um, say you're on the on the defensive almost sometimes? Yeah, like definitely. Like expecting it to happen before it does? Or just being like, all right, well, people let me down. So like I can only rely on myself, which yeah. means I need to be as efficient as possible. And then I would load so much onto myself. And I think like also being a business major, I was kind of like entering the industry like on a high horse about that. I was just like, oh, I know how the industry works. Like I'm not gonna get screwed over by like a company. And like, I was kind of very anti-label and I was very weary of like um, finding team members. I was like, how far can I bring this? You know what I mean? And then, yeah, when I, after I released a few singles following the whole folk EP. Hmm. Yeah, so the singles that I released with Hope, that was after kind of like learning things from being in other bands and taking a break from my own stuff for a while. And then I started to kind of like find my own sound that was like informed by all of the music theory I was learning and right. the jazz I was listening mm-hmm. to. And it's got that R&B, but there's, yeah, there's the groove still based a folk thing. heart to it, which mm-hmm. I love. Even songs that have like heavy, like, you know, funk elements or jazz elements or yeah. R&B elements still has a folky emotional. Yeah. The, like, so- the storytelling, the songwriting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's always important for me that like the melody and the lyrics are, can stand on their own, you know? Yeah. Um, and so when I think about production, I always want to keep that kind of like authentic and organic feeling alive, even if there's like more electronic elements going on, Yeah, which I think is super accomplishable. Um, you just have to be refined. And well, it's easy to be, too, yeah. yeah, it's easy to be a maximalist when you have yeah. so much at your fingertips. And boy, do we. Yeah. Well, and that, that was like when we were first starting, we were so excited about everything that was there. We're like, what if we throw all of it at the at canvas? And I was like, well, what we liked about folk and what we liked about the songs that we listened to anyway were how minimal they were yeah and so now it's like all right cool it's like just because you can doesn't, doesn't mean you should, should. doesn't mean yeah. you should yeah. and the best songs are always like you you know 
as a songwriter specifically, like you want the song that would sound good if you just played it, you know, with single root notes on the piano and vocal, you know, like a good totally. song just like works in that context. So totally. you even, you know, good production should always be in service of that mm-hmm. and not the other way around. That's what I like about your music is that it has the pop sensibility, but it never compromises for it. Yeah. You know, and that, like, I feel like for everybody that is it's such a, a hurdle spot. to go through, you know? Totally. Um, so you moved to New York after Boston, yeah? Yeah, so I worked on those songs and started um, actually like really forming a band in Boston for a couple years. And then once I graduated, I just up and moved to New York. I originally really had my sights set on L.A., um, but I, I started making trips over to New York because I got a few show offers and had some other music people in New York that I wanted to collaborate with and connect with. And the trips were just so electrifying and so many like serendipitous and I don't know, like l- lucrative things happened. Just I was really surprised at at the way that the energy in the city flowed and the way that I could flow with it. I didn't feel like an outsider. I felt like I belonged there and I felt like I could be whoever I was or whoever I wanted to be and no one would bat an eye. <laughs> well, I, I love New York and miss New York. Like that's who I am. And it, part of why I left was because I couldn't be there. You know, it's yeah. like in New York breeds it a sort of kind of person that either is there forever or is antsy enough to want to see everything else. And I think that that was why I left. But I completely understand the pull. Yeah. Um, I, I remember even just when we wound up crashing on your couch when you first moved to New York. And we uh, oh, yeah. we all got like, you know, breakfast in the morning. I just, I, I remember just missing that that vibe and that experience. Bagels. Of, ugh, it's bagels. bagels. Don't, don't rub that in. <laughs> I anybody who comes from New York and doesn't bring me bagels, I, I take it very personally. <laughs> <laughs> but you uh, you recently put out this project called Pendulum, yeah, which, uh, which comes from a very personal place. It uh, does, yeah. Once I put out Spring and My Love, um, I put out a couple other songs and just kind of testing the waters with different things and working with different people. And last up with Juan, Arisa. yeah. So um, yeah, Juan. He, uh, we went to school together, but only for a brief amount of time. He was a senior when I was a freshman and we actually got coffee and we're like, we, we should work on something together. You know, um, we got connected by a mentor that we both shared at Berkeley and Juan was so busy doing all of the arrangements for the Berkeley videos at the time that we never really got the chance. It's funny because when we put out our first song, we wanted to stay anonymous. Like we didn't want anybody to know we were doing it just cause we just wanted to see if the songs worked and with every, everything like that. And we thought it made us look cool. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Lux had done that, Yeah, you know? And we didn't, at that time we didn't even know who Lux were. We didn't even know they went to Berkeley. Mm. We just didn't know who they were. But we, we really wanted to stay anonymous and then we get a message from Juan and he says, I know you guys are sleeping lion, let's grab coffee. <laughs> How did he know that? He, he, he tracked apparently us tracked down. us down. Like he had asked a bunch of people. He just asked a bunch of people he, until someone it, knew us. <laughs> and so he, he called us and he's like, I want to make a Berkeley video with you, uh, which we were excited about. He's like, but I want to make some changes to the song. And I remember at the time we were so lost uh, in we're our like, own bullshit. We're like, who's this guy? He's like, he's like, what you need to do is you need to just change the ending and add a bunch more samples like you have in the song. And we're like. he also, No, he said, but no, the, the big thing was like, you have to cut 
the intro in half. Oh yeah, and we're like, like fuck this guy. And now, now which we're in like, retrospect, like of course we should have cut the intro. We're like, in oh half. my god, it's that way was too the long. best advice because it was it was a thirty second intro. Yeah, <laughs> like, you don't need that. But yeah. I, I mean, I love Wamba. It's just really funny that like the first time we met him, he was like giving us notes on this brand new baby of ours. And we were so and we were like we no. were so defensive. We were so, defensive. We were so <laughs> mad. <laughs> Well, I well, mean, shout out to Juan. But also tough shout, love, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it, was, it, it it was good advice in retrospect, and it did, you know, he he brought us to to Michael Borgado, and we made that video, you know, off of that, and it was a that was a really great experience for us. So like, I'm, it's just it's just funny to look back. But he's on a it. crazy producer. On repeat it's, it's is not. Well, you come and you go, but baby, this love ain't free. So the records were broke, and we're still stuck on repeat. Yeah. Well, you come and you go. Yeah, so um, it's funny because neither him or or I ever really work remotely. We usually prefer to just, um, you know, have the vibe in person. But we had talked about collaborating back in the day and then he moved to L.A. and I didn't really know what he was up to. And he randomly reached out to me and sent me the demo for High. And there was no top line. It was just kind of like, he was basically just like, yeah, I just like was really tired last night and I made this like weird beat (laughs) (laughs) or something, you know? He was just like, yeah, this took me, or he may have been like sitting on it for a bit and just like, he he didn't send it to anybody else. He just thought that somehow that I, that I would be able to (laughs) approach it. it. Make it be what it had to be. Yeah. um, So I heard it and... I loved it and I was super inspired to write over it. At the time I was hanging out with my friend Amelia Ali. Hey, she was oh, just yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. I've been texting um, her all day. Yeah. <laughs> so I was hanging out with her and we had been wanting to write together for a while, but we were more friends than anything. And um, we were just having a hang. We didn't know if we were going to do anything because there were other people around. But I had just heard Juan's beat and I was like, Amelia, yo, check this out. This is like pretty cool. And she was super inspired by it too. And we kind of started talking about how the song like made us feel and what it made us think of. And then high just kind of came about. So we wrote about half the song and then I had a trip to LA planned. So I came over to Juan's studio and that was our first official session in person was finishing up high. That's awesome. You know, Amelia totally got the whole framework with me. And then I kind of finished up the second verse and did the bridge and added the harmonies and, you know, really tracked. And that was the first song I made with Juan. And then we had another session from scratch. Um, and that was like even better for us to, <laughs> we already kind of knew we were on the same page. Like starting from the top. You yeah, know? like yeah. You know, co-producing and co-writing and the the roles blurred and we were just kind of coming together, which was really cool. And just like bouncing ideas off of each other. And I realized that he was the goat. He was the dude, you know, <laughs> yeah. he was the dude that- He was your person for this yeah. stuff. He was my person, yeah. And he, I mean, he still is. I, I love working with him and I'd, I'd love to have his hands on every single project I put out because like nothing compares and I feel like he just feels my soul. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he emulates that through, you know, sonically, through, through the music. And so we worked on those few songs and I was super inspired and um, I'd been holding off on putting out 
like a real project because um, I didn't, I had all these songs that felt different from mm-hmm. each other, from these different collaborations or whatever else. And I came to him and said, hey, I want to do a little writing camp with you. I have a concept for an EP and I think that you're the perfect person to work on it. And he was super willing to just, you know, collaborate and give, give me his time. And we made Pendulum. And when I was 16, um, I lost my dad to a drug overdose. And that's been a huge informing part of my story and my journey. And um, what's really inspired me to kind of push beyond um, his legacy and keep myself accountable um, for pursuing my goals and dreams without succumbing to you know, all of the dark forces in life. When we first met, like that was why you were leaning towards music therapy was you just wanted to heal people. Yeah, and help people, yeah. You, with music now in a different way, you're healing by telling the story and and letting that be a part of the sort of healing process, both for you, but for anybody who's going through it. Totally. Yeah, so. Well, take us through the songs, like, how how you know like enough alone yeah feel, yeah feel it all like how how do those songs reflect the different sides of of that feeling yeah so after losing my dad I I it took me years to kind of process through everything and you know grief is such a process and I mm-hmm. think a lot of people didn't really understand where I was coming from unless they had been through something similar and so I think you know music has always been such a healing thing for me and. I realized that I needed to approach this trauma with a creative lens um, in order to really bring that healing full circle and also um, maybe, you know, offer some solace to people who had been through a similar experience. And I mean, we've all suffered from grief, whether it be the loss of a person um, dying or, or even just leaving your life or... Um, the end of a cycle of your life. I mean, you can grieve your old self, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, I really wanted to approach the process of grief um, with this EP. So I entered the studio with these three different themes. The theme for Alone was basically realization of mortality. Because I think when when my dad passed and, you know, considering the way it happened and just how unfair all of it felt, I realized how imperfect the world can be. You know, it's like when you realize that Santa Claus isn't real. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) That was something that I said on the press release for Alone because the chorus hits in this super intense and jarring way. It changes the meter too, like changes. Changes the meter. And you know what's crazy about that is that that wasn't even necessarily my intention at first. Juan has an internal metronome. Mm. And so we wrote the verse and it was all centered around this one note drone that really kind of created this intense tension. Yeah. Um, We wrote the verse and then paused the music and we're just kind of talking about the song and, and where we wanted it to go. And, you know, I hadn't heard the verse in a little bit. I don't even know if I knew what key it was in anymore (laughs) at that point. We had just been talking. And um, I had this idea, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, what if it went like... And I just kind of like 
played it out, you know, like vocally. And he's like, yeah, okay. And then I like <laughs> see him and he's like working, working, working. And I noticed that he's off the grid. And I was like, okay, like, I wonder like why he did that. He must've thrown in some like, like a bar of two or something. Yeah. Like I wasn't thinking, cause he was in headphones. Yeah. He was just, just taking a moment to like work something out. And um, then he played it and I realized that he had ran with whatever tempo I was singing that chorus idea in. <laughs> and it's just, yeah. yeah I mean, cool. it's just well, what is cool about it too, though, is that like take a song like Spring where you actually do change the tempo and the meter as well. Like, it intentionally. Sounds, it that sounds, was yeah. super yeah, intentionally. So very intentionally. It sounds very much like you. Like it sounds like yeah. your sensibility and like, your thing. It's just so fun that that's how that <laughs> but, comes But it's, it's funny. Yeah. I was I was just listening to, to Alone this morning and I didn't even necessarily, my brain wasn't, on this listen, I wasn't thinking about the meter change. Like it's a, it's it a much natural. more seamless yeah. thing that like spring is like, oh shit, like we're in a new place. But like alone, it, whatever thing Juan was feeling, whatever thing you were feeling, like it was it's woven together it re- in a really nice way yeah. that just services the feeling, that feeling of like isolation and like like anguish and like confusion. Like it, it sonically really captures that in a really cool way. Oh, that's awesome to hear. That's great feedback. But en- enough's my favorite. Enough like really hit me when I when I saw it at because I heard everything for the first time at that premiere. Yeah. And enough just like really cut deep. Yeah. Like, you you wrote down your favorite lyric is from enough. Yeah. So the first theme is realization of mortality and like isolation. And that's definitely just kind of transmuted um sonically. And one thing that I really want to um stress about the C P is that it's not definable by genre at all. Because each of the songs represents the mood that I was trying to emulate and the theme that I was trying to emulate. And we didn't really even consider genre at all. Well, the genre is you. I mean, that's the thing. Like <laughs> anybody who's like listens to your stuff, even listens to the other projects you've been a part of, it incorporates all of it. You can hear as much, you know, Maddie J as you can, Ava as you can, the folk. I mean, there is, there is the way that you synthesize all of it, like a through line of mm-hmm. your sensibility. That's cool. Um, that's and good that's, to hear. And that's not just like gassing you up. That is what I got out of the record, which is mm. these songs fit together because you tie them together. Yeah. Totally. Well, also it's, it's a visual record as well. Did you, did you start with that being the intention or was that something that you came to partway through the process? It was definitely the intention from the get go. And I think that's another reason why Juan and I work so well together because he's, um, his skill set's really based in like film scoring mm. as yeah. well. Yeah. And so his his production can feel very cinematic and um, visuals have always been an important part of what I do. And I mean, with Spring, it was like the first song that I like released officially, like when I knew actually how to do a release Yeah. Um, after my freshman year and after my hiatus. And I sat on the master for six months I think uh-huh. because I was filming the music video <laughs> and I had this big idea that it was going to show a season's change and so we started in the dead of winter and ended in May yeah um, then you like fall do you, do, if I remember you like fall and it switches to this or, yeah, yeah it's like breaking the ice that's the whole like yeah. metaphor but going back to what I was saying visuals have always been an important element for me so I knew that to kind of enforce this idea um that I wanted visuals for it but I didn't know what the visual was going to be until after I heard the songs mm-hmm. but I knew that I wanted videos for every song do you think that helped like f- like focus the through line of like as you were thinking like even not necessarily knowing the visuals are going to be knowing that like you were going to make it a visual thing you think that informed the process of 
of focusing the project creatively? Definitely. I think what that idea did was enforce that sonically the feelings need to be emulated. It's not just Mm. about the writing. It's not just about the top line. It's about the sonic feeling, like the sounds and and that huge saw bass and and what that ignites in your body when you hear it. And, you know, I wanted to kind of bring the listener and viewer alike into this kind of emotional journey with me and try and make it as real for them as it was for me when I experienced it. Well, um, that's why it, what I love about the, the video arc too is that they are kind of visceral in their own ways. The last one, like Feel It All, being visceral in its sort of elation, like in how it, it does feel a lot more sort of accepting and positive and sort of optimistic for, you know, like you've got it on the roof and everybody's dancing on the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Alone is like borderline scary. It's like dark and, yep. and very dingy and red. But I think the thing that like fucked with me the most about Enough was how real that piece was because you have the, like the sort of almost semi surreal or like dark sort of twistedness of alone and you have the the sort of fantasy and the brightness of but in the middle you have like somebody who's had too much to drink like stumbling around new york city and i've been that person and i've <laughs> yeah. seen that person yeah and that i think is what what i loved so much about how those two were married because it's just it's just you, you've been there you know yeah. you, can, you can feel like i feel like everybody in the room felt that that moment, you know, totally. of just like, shit, like, yeah, that's why we do what we do. That's why we go to parties and that's why we drink too much and all the whatever. We're trying to fill spaces. Yeah, mm. it's, it's never enough. You yeah. Know? So speaking of filling spaces, you asked about enough and I just wanted to wrap up the idea of alone being this, this isolation and this internal search. Yeah. So enough really is the external search and mm. it's, you know, after you've been isolated for so long and that's like really the first grief stage and, you know, coming out of that, it becomes this need to fill space, this need to like fill the void. That's really what that song is about. And yeah, so the first video for um, Alone is completely tinged in this red, like I, I wanted it to feel like a horror movie, really. Yeah. Um, and very scary and, and dark. And because um, that's what, that's what it felt like for me. And you see this character, she's just completely isolated. You can't tell if it's like a dream, like a nightmare or or real, but it feels real, but it feels like it's kind of floating in this unreal it's space. It's almost, almost like denial. It was like, it was like this dark sort of like a hellish sort of, you know, it's, it's New York, but just slightly surreal, you know? That- exactly. Yeah. So that's like that, that denial moment. And then enough is like, okay, like, this is real. All of this is real, but I need to turn to escapism mm-hmm. to, to, like, fill those spaces. And, and what's, like, how can I fix this, you know? And enough is totally the search for that. So our character, you know, she she leaves her apartment finally after she's been, you know, cooped up in there for God knows how long and has a crazy night in New York City constantly searching for that thing. She overeats at a diner. She flirts with everybody at a party. She rides the subway by herself. You know, she is always looking, but never fully finding anything or connecting with anything fully. It's just this kind of detached. Well, uh, it's that, that shot frantic, in the subway of yeah. just like where she just sees the reflection too of herself. Like, yeah. Just completely just, I mean, that, that hit me. That, that, it's a great song, but also just a great 
message too. Yeah. I, I like the line leading up to the chorus, like, I, I need a quick fix, like, somebody give me it, you know? I need a quick fix, baby, just give me it. I know it's fleeting, but I just can't quit. Yeah. It's just, like, oh, anybody, come on, like, what do you got? Mm-hmm. And I think, actually, after writing the song, I realized that I was kind of trying to tap into what my dad might have been feeling when he was kind of in that mode of escapism and, you know, it was this kind of cycle. He would feel guilty about lying and using and then want to go back to it just to numb that out. Mm. And I think after losing him, I I did go through a time in my life where I was like, what's so great about overindulging? Let's, let's feel it out. You know, you know, what, what's going to stop me from doing this if love isn't enough? Well, and and that's, that's, I think the the scariest part about you know, being in your 20s and realizing that, like, there isn't necessarily anything that will be enough. You mm-hmm. know, like, like that, that, that we were told that that's, like, the journey and the quest that we're supposed to be on, and it's not. You know, instead, it's about sort of enjoying the sort of... Tota- In-betweens. Yeah, and the, yeah. the totality of it, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like at, at my lowest, I feel like I'm swinging from, like, laugh to laugh. Like, if I can just get one laugh, if I can get, like, <laughs> one good moment, like, that'll yeah. keep me going for, like, the next... But but that's but that's you know that's looking at it very narrowly. I think there's all these sort of beautiful moments that you pick out when it's not trying to have the whole feast all at once. Totally. You know. But yeah. that's why I mean that's why I love how it goes into feel it all as well. Right. Yeah. So feel it all is is the final song and it's super beautiful and and like open sounding and yeah. So oh the the line though that you oh, yeah, that from, you wanted to mention from enough, from enough yeah, yeah. is um. This is one of the favorite lines I've ever written because it's super real for me. Because it's like, you know, when you find love and you accept that you deserve love, that should feel like what's enough. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's just not. And that's something I had to come to learn about, you know, being the child of an addict is that it wasn't about whether or not I could love him hard enough to make him stop. Yeah. You know? And that was like a really tough thing to come to and I realized it about myself too and my grief it's like no one I ever fall in love with is gonna fix you yeah fix me or like be the person that he could be for me yeah um so the line is uh loving don't pick me up like it should long and don't give enough but I know it hurts me so good loving don't pick me up like it should long and don't give enough but I know it hurts me so good Cause it's just like none of it ever, you know, will be the thing that I'm looking for. At the end of the video, she finds herself in the ocean. She's been running all night. She's been searching and searching and it's external. And um, then she, yeah, she submerges herself in the ocean. That's how the video ends. And that, that scene was really cathartic for me because when I moved to the East coast, I had a little vial of my dad's ashes with me and I spread them in the ocean because Mm -hmm. I wanted to have him, his spirit, his energy just there with me, protecting me. And I knew that I could always go to the ocean and feel like I was with him. Mm -hmm. And so like, it was kind of that realizing, oh, this is there all along for me to access. And um, in the alone video, you see me submerge myself in the tub. And it's like that internal, like baptismal searching that just like, oh yeah, that, that, safe space is inside of me 
but it's also like outside of me and it's like there all along and I can find it. Hmm. When you, and you get to have a relationship with your with your trauma and with your story. Like mm-hmm. you I think a lot of times when something bad happens, we think, oh, well, that's something that happened to me and we just have to boil over. But you get to have a relationship. Right. You get to, you know, have this dynamic. Sometimes it hurts, but sometimes it can actually be the thing that drives you to, you know, I mean, it's driven you to want to heal. You know, exactly. It's, it's driven dri- driven me to want to make things. I mean, there's there the awful things wind up being oftentimes somewhat positive in how they wind up developing their relationship to us. Totally. Um, and, and I like that the project ends on the lighter note mm-hmm. of it's okay to feel it all. In fact, yeah. like you, what you should seek out is to get the highs and the lows and have it all kind of live in a, not not even harmony, but like a thermodynamic kind of mm-hmm. ebb and flow. Yeah, you know? totally. And I think when I started to come out of that like numbingness, that's really where the acceptance came in. And the first line of feel it all is, I'm feeling everything at once. It's always all or nothing. At least I'm feeling something other than numb. I'm feeling everything at once. It's always all or nothing. At least I'm feeling something other than numb. And I think it's like, yeah, I, regardless of, you know, whether this feeling is good or bad, it's a feeling and it's, it's part of the human experience. And it was just kind of like recognizing how fragile life is. Like that's another side of grief that I think isn't really talked about enough. And, you know, every time I tell someone that I lost my dad, they're always quick to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Hmm. Right. You apologize. And it's, interesting because I think they're really apologizing because they feel helpless and uncomfortable (laughs) with the taboo. Yeah. So they're apologizing for their inability to do anything about what happened. Mm. In a lot lot of ways, I mean, grief is the other side of caring Mm. and caring is what makes you human. Like it's the peak of the human experience is to care about somebody other than yourself. Yeah. And so in a lot of ways, I think that grief winds up shining a light through sort of the shadows of it, shining a light. Right. How, You're like, this hurts because I care. Because I care. Because mm-hmm. I, I have that in me. And I get to hold on to that however I want to hold on to that. But like, I... I'm capable I'm of I'm capable it. of caring. I'm capable of caring enough to hurt. Yeah. And that, you know, that... It sucks in the moment, but it, it at least reminds you that you're human, you know? And that's... And not just like going about your day as like, you know, a robot. Totally. And that's the thing, you know, I, I could just sit down and work forever. You know? Yeah. Like I, I could just shut off and be that. And I think remembering grief and remembering love and, and caring is what winds up, you know, thawing out that sort of iciness. Totally. Yeah, I think the, the biggest lesson that I could take away and when people apologize to me about having gone through this is I say, hey, well, I wouldn't have figured out how fragile life is if I hadn't had this experience and yeah. now I don't take anything for granted. Yeah. Well, um, and you found, you found a great, great group of friends, you know, you're close with your family. I mean, that, those are things that people take their whole life trying to figure out. I think seeing the journey and hearing the journey through this project is really cool, especially just knowing, knowing you and where, where you started and where you are now, you know, both, yeah. both musically, but also just as a person, just, we've now all known each other five or six years. Like, yeah. We've grown up. Yeah, sure. we've we grown have. up in front of each other. I mean, there's so much growing pains and shit too. You know, totally. Up, you know, it 
and we've grown up in front of our our respective audiences too. Yeah, and we have uh-huh. relationships with each other's art, which is also like a crazy vector to like watch people grow up with. As it well. is. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So the feel it all video starts yeah. um, with me, or our character. <laughs> um, As, you know, a little comedy. The, the character yeah. is me. Yeah. You know, surprise. She's <sighs> she's she an you, actress. She was you all all along. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she was with you all along. Yeah, but I like to say our character because I, I think it could be anybody. I'd like, to, yeah, I'd like the audience to be able to put place themselves in that position. Yeah, but you know, it's it's a continuation of of part two, and so after entering the water, instead of maybe just <laughs> drowning or staying there forever, <laughs> um, she submerges and walks from the beach. The sun is starting to rise. She's been out all night and finds her way up onto a roof to, you know, better better see the sun rising and really take all of that in. And it's, you know, I really wanted the sun coming around to be this kind of like just an overall metaphor that, you know, the sun rises again after the night happens and it's right. just like the up, ups and downs, the cycles. And then the sun's going to go right back down again. Yeah. Well, the whole song blooms. There's this liveliness to it. Yeah. It, feel, it feels like it feels like a celebration. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it, it feels colorful and yeah, it's the first vibrant. Vibrant, totally. So I wanted, you know, those colors in the sky to feel really intense and strong and and enough, you know, you see that external search, but I never really fully connect with anyone. Yeah. And you know, I'm move. I'm moving on the roof, and and then you start to see these other forms come into play, and you realize that they're dancers, and yeah. there's actual choreography. It's the first time that I'm like connecting with people, and I think it's also metaphorically just connecting with the deeper parts of myself that I've been hiding away, and each of my feelings, and um, you know, the the different sides of it, and and just being one with them and moving with them and yeah so that's that's the third one feel it all and it kind of wraps everything up it's interesting because if we were to talk about genre um i think alone is this kind of angsty experimental kind of vibe enough is more of this like i don't i guess indie rock like mm. almost 90s kind yeah of. i mean it's got that like garage jump, jump yeah it's great yeah but and then alone has almost like the grimes, like gritty, like electronic, mm-hmm. like squeeze to it. Yeah, and then feel it all is this soulful and kind of groove based vibe that I'm at now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like once I came to this place of acceptance, I was cool with making music that like makes you feel good. Well, and that's that's why like I say it, it's all linked by by you. I remember when we were in the tour van and you're you're like I'm, I'm taking the aux cord and you throw on hiatus coyote next to jack garrett like next to um jack white jack white, jack white. i mean yeah. you, you have you like you have all these like genres living in you and I, I remember and i never heard any of these bands so could you imagine like for a second just a person hearing hiatus coyote coming out of by the way of like broadway and folk music hearing hiatus coyote jack garrett's like the love you're given oh my and, gosh uh, that song kind of inspired everything. what you guys started yeah. right yeah, yeah for sure. that was the first was song like, i showed noah yeah um, that song blew my freaking mind the first time i heard it i was like what you can do that like, and I, think yeah. it, I think jack inspired valentine as well yeah I, I, I wound up posting about him on facebook and, and val says yeah if you hadn't posted that i wouldn't have gone down that rabbit hole 
of stuff. So Jack Garrett launched, I think. I mean, but what he was doing. He launched so many people. Listening back to it now, I'm like, I've heard so much music like this now. But when it came out in like 2013, 2012, like it was just. He just hit that. He, you know, and like. Well, I think Worry was like the first thing he ever did on Ableton too. That's like he just, he had been playing blues guitar for so long, like trying to do the, the acoustic folk thing. And then he started like getting into electronic music right at the right moment and Ugh. hit that like hype machine, SoundCloud, Spotify wave and just like wrote it. It was like, to like what happened a beautiful if James tour. Blake decided to like play yeah. blues, you know? Like, yeah. but you, I mean, you, you show me all that stuff, but, but also like I always remembered that stuff in relation to you. Mm. So how all of these genres would wind up like percolating and like I hear the through between alone and enough and feel it all because it's all the stuff you've always listened to. Mm. It's all the stuff you've always vibed with. And I think anybody listening is not thinking about genre. They're thinking about me at hope Mm. is the genre. They're thinking, all right, here's the pop sensibility that sells the song. Like, does the song work? Yes. Can you connect with it? Absolutely. What drives it is not genre. It's, it's the beating heart behind it. And I think you've worked really hard to have that, like to have that be, what centers your stuff. Yeah. Um, wow, I really appreciate that. Oh, of course. Yeah, you know me, I gush when I gush. Uh, I, I me, just... me after your shows, I'm embarrassed for myself. <laughs> like, I, just, I can't stop myself. I'm just like gushing and cabelling. Oh. Like, um, are you ready for the question round? You're ready for the yeah. question round. Yeah. Do you have any non-musical hobbies? I've been doing so much music lately. Someone, someone the other day was like, what do you do besides music? I was like, I haven't really had time for much. <laughs> yeah, um, I love collaging. I love like hand cut collages. Yeah, yeah. I still have your lighter that you would have as merch. Yeah, it's so just I a make collage. Yeah. yeah, so like I've never had a steady hand, and I've never felt like I'm really a visual artist. But I like the way I I love photographs, and mm. I love the way that like colors and, and images can work together, yeah. and then you know I can put some colored pencil on it and make it just look just kind of like distorting images and like messing with what's already there. Yeah, so some of my merch, it's it's all still DIY. I'm still doing the DIY that. thing. Um, well, I love DIY at the Troubadour. Like that's just, yeah. that is such a vibe. Do you have any skills that you don't have that you would like to have? Hmm. I think that I'd like to become a better engineer because mm. I have... A producer brain and, you know, in in sessions I co-produce and and I have what I want to hear in my head, but I don't really feel self-sufficient. And, you know, we kind of talked about this. You could teach yourself, you could take the time to do that, or you could just, you know, move forward and be able to like find the people that can fill in those spaces. But I think it could be really cool to see what I can accomplish, just me and my computer. If I were able to have the rights 100% to something I made and have it be out in the world, that would just be like such a big day for me. That would like mean a lot to me. And I would be so proud to present that to the world to really actually feel solid about something that I just made myself. Like not any extra co-production on it, like completely me. I get so anxious when I start like trying to produce, and it starts really subtle. But, like I get when I when I'm actually at the computer, I I know s- enough to be able to do it at a functional level. Maybe not like Noah's level, but to do it at like a, a functional level. Right. And I just after 15 minutes, 20 minutes, <laughs> just get um, exhausted I, by it. I get exhausted. I get so anxious, and so like 
in my head. I'm not the kind of person to be like, I suck, you suck, like whatever. Like I, I'm not that person to have that. So you're internal. just like, how can I be better? How can I be better? How can I be better? And I'm just like, I have this idea and it's good and I want to try it. I want to try it. Like, and I'm caught between like, I want like doing five minutes of work and wanting to show somebody like, this. look at this thing I did. Yeah. Like in order to just like get myself going or I'm like, I suck and I need to do something that's more worth my time. And one of these days I'll, I'll finally get like decent at producing, I hope. Yeah. It'll just take five years. Yeah. Well, it's cool to kind of like do the session merry-go-round because I'm um, just seeing all the way that these different producers are working. Mm. And like I use Ableton and I work out of like the other view where I'm just like building the loops. And it's like kind of easier for me to just like build one section for a while and like work on that. But you were always a looper. Yeah. Right. So it makes the most sense to me. Yeah, for um, sure. But it's interesting because, like, I, I know somebody that all of his drums are just, like, audio. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty much how I work. Yeah. Like, like no or... MIDI at all, just yeah. kind of, like, manipulating audio. Yeah. Pretty cool. That's a, that's, a, that's a fun way to work. But it requires a lot of, like, there's a lot of audio. Shortcuts. And she has shortcuts, and you have to get a, a, an actual workflow to work like that. Exactly. But it is it feels a lot more to me, like, very tactile, like, working with audio. It feels like I'm, like, molding clay. Whereas MIDI just feels like... Excel spreadsheets. Totally. What would you say your superpower is? I think that it's like my empathy, even though it's also my own demise. Yeah. <laughs> I think that like, especially being a songwriter, like I'm able to feel into other people and what they're going through a lot. And it's really helpful if I'm writing with an artist, because then I can just be like, oh, wow, it, that totally makes sense that like, you know, you, you felt frustrated about that. And, and let's like get to the root of, you know, how we can turn that into a metaphor and yeah. talk about it um, in an artful way. And so that's been super helpful for my creativeness and just being a super open and feeling person. And it's like helpful in my relationships too, to just like be compassionate and understanding of people. And like also realizing that most of the time when people like hurt, you it's not about you it's a Mm -hmm. them thing and like having that empathy and understanding and compassion is like yeah you're not in a good place right now and you're not being considered of the people around you but that doesn't mean that you're a bad person and it also doesn't mean that i need to like cut you out of my life because you're not considering me well on the converse though when i'm when i am very recently learning kind of in therapy like especially if you're an empathetic person the the next thing is learning about boundary control yeah. in that space. Boundaries are if, so important. If you're empathetic, you know why people do shitty things. You know why people, you know how you'll affect other people. You're always thinking about how you're affecting other people or how how they're feeling and why they're doing the things to you and, and not getting enough thought as to, am I getting what I deserve? Like, am I, you know, if maybe somebody, I get why somebody's treating me shitty, but do I also deserve to be treated shitty? Like, right. and recognizing where the boundaries yeah, are. Yeah, it, it doesn't on, necessarily matter how much you understand why someone's disrespecting your boundaries if they are still disrespecting your boundaries. Right, that's totally why it's my own demise because yeah. Yeah. I'm able to say, hey, I understand where you're coming from and I don't hold that against you. And, and for so that you, person- You brush it all out the rest of the Right, but yeah. for that yeah. person that you're not holding anything against, they're not held accountable to their actions then. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, well they understand that like Mm -hmm. I'm in a crap place so I'm just gonna make these decisions and continue to mistreat this person because they understand Uh, that's that is the I'm I'm maybe a month or two into like (laughs) realizing that side of it yeah that that, like empathy is because I thought empathy was the most important thing anybody could ever be and empathy with boundaries equals balance you know like that's 
the like balance. Our song. Like our song. Also, I like Just Know It too. I, I don't think like it's not worth going into all of Just Know It and everything, but like that was just such a fun. That was after the first time we ever written, wrote together. I know. I think that song's like really. I think it, like, I do. I do too. You're just yeah. not just not the direction that we pitched it. Yeah, we, we did. We did like hardcore Zed production to try to put like pitch it to Zed. But it, oh yeah, I loved the concept of it, and I loved that session too because you and I like there had been a lot between our friendship that had just remained unsaid and sort of that we we both had just not yeah and we had to come to Jesus. Yeah, we, we were in a, in a coffee shop. We were just like, all right, this is how it's gonna be. We're gonna be friends. And this is all the things we didn't talk about. We're just gonna talk about it, and now we're good. Let's write. Let's write a fucking great song. It's nice and to have we those did. moments. Just, I don't know. I think, I think that was. I think if the first mo- most important part of our friendship was the tour, and the yep. second most important was that cup of coffee. Yep. <laughs> now on to the most important question of Talking Lion: uh, Would you be a pirate? Would I be a pirate? Yeah. Would you rather be a regular very person? Very large hoop earrings. I feel like that needs to be on the record. Well, here's what I'd say. I am a rule breaker and I'm a risk taker. Yeah. But I also love the comfort of my own home and I love following rules at the same time. It's a duality. So I'm not sure. I think you, you don't have to depend- be, you can be on a, a ship and you don't have to be a captain. You can have the comfort of your own first mate's quarter. Yeah, that could be pretty cool, honestly. <laughs> and yeah, I feel like it would have to depend on the circumstance. It's like, if my family were pirates, I would definitely be a pirate. Oh, yeah. That's, that's very... That's she goes a, from a long line of... Yeah, a pirate yeah, dynasty. Yeah, your, your new pirate name is Smiet. Yeah. Smiet. Smiet. It would have, but it would have to be like, I would want to be a pirate because I think they're fighting the good fight. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's just dependent on whether or not pirates were fighting the good fight or not. I think some pirates were fighting a fight that was better than the other fight that was being yeah. fought. Yeah, there are definitely <laughs> degrees of pirate. Like there were probably better crews of pirates who were like Robin Hood type pirates. But yeah. also like you're, you know, it's still like, it's like that honor among thieves thing. Like you're. <laughs> yeah, here's a follow up answer to that is that I'm not a skier and mm. I don't like either. roller coasters. So no. I, I, I just don't like, <laughs> I don't like the feeling of wanting to throw up and I don't like cold. I would love skiing if it was warm. I would love roller coasters if I didn't have surfing? to throw up. Would you surf? I would surf if there wasn't I'm water. Not a oh surfer. my god! So what, what? What do you do? I like things that don't require my body to feel discomfort. Okay. Like I, I like. I feel that way too. So maybe we wouldn't really have also a great don't like life horror on, movies. on sea. I like horror movies that have uh, cerebral stuff. I don't like jump scares. I don't like. <laughs> I don't like horror movies either. I don't like being freaked out. I, I like. Yeah. I, I like. A fair... I'm not an adrenaline junkie, so mm. that's why I don't know if I could live yeah. a life of organized crime. I, I I think I am an adrenaline junkie, as long as it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. No, no, there is a there's a very small margin. You play a show, for example. A lot yep. of adrenaline. A lot of adrenaline. No bodily I discomfort. I love the high. You know, uh, like a, a, a great date. Plenty of adrenaline. No bodily discomfort. Uh, I like unless you want there to be. Uh, <laughs> 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 unless you're at the Airbnb, you guys yeah. stayed at. Oh my god! Yeah. No. Okay. So no. No bodily. What if you're dis- just like on a date and then you take him back to that the, Airbnb? The Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's uh, it, also like I was with my manager, and so like the host was just like, oh, "Hey guys, like." Welcome. <laughs> like, I only know we're here on work. Okay, no pleasure work here. Work trip. Um, no, but but uh, that but but a roller coaster, for example. I there are plenty of roller coasters that don't fuck with the G force and like your your 
understanding of what is up and what is down. Mm. I love those roller coasters. Yeah. Oh, okay. They're just like a little bit of like butterflies. I like a rush. Like I like a rush. I don't like when I have to throw up. Ah, I, yeah, I don't like going upside down on a roller coaster. Yeah, like I don't like, I, and, and surfing, I would love to like be, be catch on a, a sick wave, bro. Like, catch, a, catch a wave and just feel that. But I hate being cold and wet. It's about risk versus. <laughs> yeah, it's just bodily discomfort. I love <laughs> adrenaline. Don't enjoy be like being a person. Well, it's, that's that's why video games are appealing. Ultimately, it's it's, it's 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 all cerebral, but it's a similar set of like risk and reward stuff True. going yeah. on in your brain. I can deal with the adrenaline side. I just am just such a such a wimp when it comes to being even a, a little cat. bit cold. Yeah. Oh yeah, I went on tour with you. I know. Oh <laughs> yes, we went on tour in the dead of winter in the middle of Colorado. You said we got out of that alive. Aspen almost we didn't. Remember <laughs> the van slid down the hill. Yeah, that was terrifying. Uh, yeah, we cracked the window too. <laughs> Do you have any tattoos? And if so, what is your first one? Yeah. So my first tattoo ever. It's on my back, and it's a lotus flower. Mm. And I got it for my dad. Um, he had a lotus flower on his back to symbolize his first year of sobriety when he was sober. Um, is, it like, is it like Evie's? Yeah, so my sister, yeah, she has one as well, but we both got them in our own style. And it was kind of just to signify like, we are honoring him, but we're not gonna follow in his footsteps. Mm. That's awesome. Uh, what was the first concert you ever attended? I think that it was Kimia Dawson. I don't know if you guys know I love who Kim Yatasin is, but yeah, she was, she's just this um, songwriter that her songs are super literal and <laughs> just very kind of, she just really kind of has her own thing going on. So I saw her. But that was like a small-ish concert. My biggest, the, the, the big, big concert that I saw was that girl, Vanessa. Carlton? Vanessa Carlton? I think it was Vanessa Carlton. <laughs> yeah. And I miss you. Yeah. That was like one of my favorite songs at the time. So. A classic. I think pop. I was like seven. <laughs> nice. Yeah. What's your go-to karaoke song? Ooh, she will be loved by Maroon Ooh, that's Five. That's a good one. Ooh, that's that a is great a, one. Yeah. That's a yeah. Maroon Five was actually my first album. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. My dad gave it to me. Yeah. I think he actually gave me two albums at the same time. He gave me Maroon Five songs about Chain and um, Dookie by Green Day. Ooh, that's a good. <laughs> those, those are two are, great those records. Good. I feel like I, I am now seeing like two paths that Miet could have walked down. It totally was. <laughs> Which is like, because I went down the Green Day path, <laughs> pretty hardcore. Um, yeah. What's your favorite movie, book, and TV show, respectively? Big pop culture lightning round. Pop culture lightning round. Okay. You can take a second to think about it. I'm going to add a little. Favorite <laughs> movie is Donnie Darko. Hey, nice. that's a great movie. Breaking Bad probably hey, is my yeah. favorite TV show. It. I watched it right after I, uh, my dad passed and it made me feel like my life was less fucked up hmm. than it was because it just put things into perspective for me because of how messed up everything was. And it was also just like super inspiring to like a lot of my like dark channelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you about to tell us that you cook meth in the in the valleys of uh, Colorado just for a sec? I mean, I write about it. <laughs> oh. I mean, and you know, I write about my experiences. So, hey, who knows? Hey, who knows? <laughs> Could have been it. my experience of yeah. watching the TV show. You heard or... it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and the, then the book, Just Kids, Patty Smith. Ooh. I love that book. That and book is incredible. Yeah, and that book is what kind of put New York as a dream in mm. my head. What hit me about that book was just sort of, and it, it kind of freaked me out in a beautiful way, was realizing that the way she talked about like 
Janice and like like all these like Jimmy and like all these people yeah who are, who are legends now like maybe those are our friends like maybe that's how we're talking exactly about it was just like now. her group of friends and like they were all struggling and they were all like at the Chelsea hotel figuring just, out shit yeah um, yeah and that's that's the thing is like it really hit me in the, with that book like we could be saying the same thing about our friends it's like mm-hmm. half the reason we have this podcast yeah that, that thing right there yeah that's totally to, to, to be a sort of time capsule on this era artistically and politically of, of it's, who it's our like friends are yeah yeah i love and, that and, and what they're thinking how they're feeling what they're what they're afraid of and what they're excited about oh yeah. do you have a favorite sound Ooh. I love car alarms. I used a hmm. car alarm in weird in a song the other it's day. Interesting one. Or like you let you like that sound, like yeah, because it's like that would be judgmental. I mean, can you like what is it about it? I think the reason that I like it is not that I would like to listen to that sound over and over <laughs> again, but I like that it triggers some like illicit reaction mm. just as a sound. Yeah, you hear it and you are alarmed. <laughs> Yeah. You're like, something is wrong. I need to fix it. And it, it's just a sound that will do that to you. And that's just kind of like pretty amazing because <laughs> it makes me think about what sounds mean oh, yeah. in general. But that's cool. another thing that I really like is crickets. Mm. And I think it's like makes me think about how there's a clock to the world you know or there's like a metronome yeah and then crickets also adjust uh their pitch of their sound based on temperature yeah like it's a thermometer too like the pitch of cricket sounds is directly related to temperature yeah it's pretty cool which yeah it's it's like it's like nature just giving like a little it's it's like a clock but it's also a thermometer it's like really deeply connected to like energy and temperature and pressure like crickets are crazy the sound of a cricket is like the most like natural kind of like music yeah there is it really really. is do you have any scars with a story yeah so right down the middle of my middle finger i have something that looks like harry potter's lightning bolt lightning bolt i don't quite remember this story but when i was young probably like two years old or something there was um, a humidifier in my house. I think that I probably had a cold or something. We had the humidifier going. And this was before they had been changed around. But but um, it used to be that the steam was like super hot. Like oh. now, now they like limit the temperature that it can get to. But the steam was hot enough to the point where it would burn me if I put my hand over it. Oh, and yeah. I think that you know, my mom was just making food in the kitchen and I just like crawled over to the to the humidifier and stuck my hand over it oh, and no. just completely burned it. And years and years later, the scar has just grown with me. <laughs> well, yeah, you have your Harry Potter mark. Exactly, my Harry Potter mark. You're the girl who lived. <laughs> <laughs> what are three thoughts you have at this very moment? That your shirt is red. Yes, it is. That I'm happy to be here and that I'm anxious about going to the airport tomorrow. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Traveling oh, is so intense for is, me. It is stressful. <laughs> I like sweat. I normally don't sweat. I mean, I normally don't work out, so that makes sense that I don't sweat <laughs> that often. But I mean, if I go to the airport once every two months, that's 
the detox I need. It's like I'm, sauna. When you have to rush to the airport uh, and you're doing the math, like you hit the worst you hit the traffic the and you're doing the math and you're like, okay, now I have 30 minutes to go th- through security. Now I have 20 minutes to go through security. Now I have 10 minutes to go and through And you get to the airport and you're like, you're I don't even know if I'm going to be. You're like begging people like, I need I need a board flight. Can you're I like, please yeah, get in front yeah. of the line? And they're like, eh. and I'm like, Ugh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what are you most proud of? I think right now I'm the most proud that I didn't cop out because <laughs> this career makes me question everything every single day yep. and it's a fun job though yeah man i mean it's been really hard it's been really hard on my mental health too and my identity and like there's just so much so many odds against me too and this industry can just be super messed up sometimes and i'm proud of my perseverance and like you know going to school and learning what I learned and going to New York and, you know, eating ramen <laughs> out of, not, not ramen from a restaurant, but you know, Oh yeah. yeah. Instant ramen. Instant ramen. That distinction needs to be made in Los Angeles. Uh, I agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm honestly going to go get Silver Lake ramen after this. Ooh, oh, that's that's ramen's great. Looking forward awesome to that. Enough. Yeah. So perseverance, I guess. That's great. Hey, well, we're incredibly excited. You know we're going to be at, at every show you're at in Los Angeles. Like, we, we're just going to keep an eye out, see you when we're in New York and stuff. I'm just, I'm really proud of you. And, like, you're the, one of the few people on the show where, like, saying that wouldn't be super weird. Like, I, I just, I'm just proud <laughs> Thanks, of, like, dad. all, yeah, you know, I'm just. I don't proud. have a dad, so. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I'll be the dad that's proud. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be proud dad right now. Like, I'm just really proud of just everything that you've you've done since we've met. And I'm just excited to see where the, these, like, parallel trains go you know yeah we always yeah. wind up meeting at, at different stations and, and and there's always some cool milestone when we get there and so i'm just i'm excited for you know for our journey for our friendship and i'm just i'm really grateful for how long we've known each other me too <laughs> well thank you for being here mia thank you sleeping yeah. lion thanks for having me would it ever be enough to find me find me would it ever be enough to feed my Cause I'm never satisfied with what I've got Will it ever be enough to find me, find me Will it ever be enough We would like to thank Alan C. for supporting Talking Lion on Patreon and Isotope.